So let's turn to Genesis 17. We're working through the life of Abraham. And as I was thinking about what this chapter talks about, it struck me that one of the benefits of preaching through books of the Bible like we're doing is that we are forced to deal with topics that we probably wouldn't ordinarily choose to deal with because the focus of Genesis 17 is circumcision, which is not a topic that I would probably pick out of, out of the air to teach on. But here's the deal. We know this topic is important for us to understand because God had Moses write about it in Genesis 17. And we know that from 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is inspired by God. Old Testament, all scripture, and New Testament, all scripture. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that we can become equipped for good works. And so Genesis 17 is part of the all scripture that is profitable for us. So we're going to dig in and circumcision teaches us crucial truths about God's plan to save lost people. So let's dig into this chapter. Now, just quick review, starting in Genesis 12, Abraham's life, we've seen God come to Abraham and give him promises. I will make of you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. Through your offspring, people from every ethnic group will be blessed by God. So all these promises have been given to Abraham, and at the beginning of this chapter, again, God comes to Abraham and gives him promises. So let's read verses 1 through 6. What does God promise Abram? Look at what we read. Verse 1, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, worshiping. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. Powerful promises in these verses. Now notice the very beginning, God comes to Abram and says, I am God Almighty. Just want to have us linger there for a moment. Hebrew, El Shaddai, God Almighty, which means all the power belongs to God. God has all power. No one else has any power other than the power God allows them to have in the different situations they're in. All the power in the universe belongs to one being, God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God is God Almighty. And I think some of you need to hear that this morning. Your sin is not almighty. God is almighty. Your circumstances are not almighty. God is almighty. Your problems are not almighty. They might be big. They might be threatening. You might see no way out. Your problems are not almighty. Almighty. 
God is almighty. Satan and his demons are not almighty. God is almighty. So some of you just need to linger on that for just a moment and and rest in it. God, you are almighty. See him ruling with love and sovereignty and power and trust him. God is God almighty. And almighty God, El Shaddai, comes to Abram and says, I'm God almighty. Abram, now you should walk before me. And this is what we all should do. That means seeing that God's before me. I'm walking every moment in his presence, trusting him, relying on him, depending on him through Jesus. So walk before me and be blameless. Now that can be a little puzzling. The Hebrew word blameless has a broad range of meaning. In this context, it doesn't mean sinless. It means having a single heart towards God. I trust you through Jesus. I love you. I want to obey you. I want to live for your glory. You're single-hearted. And when you do stumble and sin, you're, you're, you're turning back to God. Forgive me. I'm back. I'm following you. You're not double-minded, trying to hold a sin and to God. It's God through Jesus. It's you. I want to live for your glory. And when we do stumble, we're back. So walk before me in trust and be blameless, single-minded in the pursuit of my glory and obedience to me. Then in verse 5, God changes Abram's name. Notice that? From Abram, which means exalted father, to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. And so who is Abram going to be the father of a multitude of? We see in these verses, it's father of a multitude, end of verse 5, end of verse 4 and verse 5, a multitude of what? Nations. Now that is puzzling. If we're reading this carefully, we'll stop and scratch our heads. Abraham is going to be the father of a multitude of nations. That's puzzling because Abraham, biologically, only was the father of three nations. He was the father of the Ishmaelites through Ishmael, who was born 13 years before this chapter. He would be the father of the Israelites, who would be born through Isaac, who would still to be born a year from now. We'll read about that in the coming weeks. And he also was the father of the Edomites, who were through Esau, his grandson. Three nations. Now, three is not a multitude. That's father of a couple of nations, not a multitude of nations. And so what's going on here is what God is promising Abraham is not about his biological fatherhood, but his spiritual fatherhood. Spiritually, He is going to be the father of a multitude of nations, which means that people from every nationality, every ethnic group, people from every race, tongue, and tribe will receive spiritual blessing through the line of Abraham. That's what God's promising. Now, remember, that's exactly the same promise God gave Abraham back in chapter 12, verse 3, in different words. Back there, he said, through you, through your offspring, every family on the earth is going to be blessed by God. Spiritual blessing through one of your offspring. Here he says, I'm going to make you the spiritual father of a multitude, a vast number of nations. Really, he's speaking here of all the nations. I'm going to make you the spiritual father of a vast multitude of nations. Every nation, people from every nation, every ethnic group will receive spiritual blessing through the line of Abraham. 
Now, what is this blessing that people receive through the spiritual line of Abraham? What is the blessing of Abraham? The answer is in verses 7 and 8. As we read this, we're going to see the word offspring twice. And I think, you, you study this, see if you agree. I think that verses 1 through 6 was talking about his spiritual offspring, his spiritual multi-ethnic offspring. And I see no reason to change the meaning as we go into verses 7 and 8. I think that's the same thing, although that'll raise some questions. Let's take a look. Verse 7, God says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And notice the word offspring is in verse 7, And in verse 8, and again because verses 1 through 6 focused on his spiritual multi-ethnic offspring, I think that's the same point here in verses 7 and 8. So here's two blessings that are going to come to Abraham's spiritual offspring. First, in verse 7, God will be God to them. What does that mean? I will be God to you and to your offspring after you. This is just wonderful. You should memorize this verse. To have God be God to you means that all that God is, all of his El Shaddai power, all of his wisdom, all of his love and mercy and grace and zeal and passion is devoted to caring for you, saving you, forgiving you, changing your heart, reconciling you to himself, bringing you to be with him forever in glory in the new heavens and the new earth. All of God, who God is, is devoted to you, saving you. And of course, that happens through Jesus Christ, the great, 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 great grandchild of of Abraham. So God is committing, I am going to be your God. Everything that I am is going to be devoted to your salvation, your well-being, your joy in me, your worship of me, your protection, your provision, everything. I'm devoted to you. Like he says in Jeremiah 32, I will rejoice over them to do them good with all my heart and all my soul. El Shaddai, infinite power, because of Jesus' death on the cross, devoted to you and your salvation and your well-being. Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us then, right? I'll be God to you. That's the first blessing. Now, the second one is the one that was puzzling to me. God's going to give the land of Canaan to Abraham and his, what I think is spiritual, multi-ethnic offspring. Now, here's why this is puzzling. You, you can see why it's puzzling. God gave the land of Canaan to the physical offspring of Abraham, the people of Israel, right? He gave Israel to them, absolutely. But the context of this verse still seems to be Abraham's spiritual offspring from every nation. And the book of Hebrews says that Abraham himself never received the land of Canaan. Remember reading that in the book of Hebrews? He hasn't received it yet. Not in this life. He hasn't received it. He will. Hasn't gotten it yet. And the book of Romans, verse 13, jot that down, Romans chapter 4, verse 13, we read that Abraham and his spiritual offspring will inherit the world. Canaan, yes, 
and the world. And remember what Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit, what? The earth. So I think what's being talked about here, you study this, see if this makes sense to you. I'm trying to follow the context of verses 1 through 6. Spiritual, multi-ethnic offspring. Verse 7, he'll be God to. Multi-ethnic offspring. Verse 8, he'll give land forever to multi-ethnic offspring. Yes, the new heavens and the new earth in the age to come is, I think, what's being talked about here in verse 8. That's the blessing of Abraham. Abraham, you're going to be the father of a multitude of nations. You're going to be the spiritual father, giving spiritual blessing to every nation, tongue, and tribe through what your great-great-great-great-grandchild Jesus would do on the cross. I'm going to be God to this multi-ethnic group of people, and I'm going to give them an inheritance, a land, the new heavens, the new earth with me forever. That's the blessing of Abraham. Now, throughout the Old Testament time period, God wanted there to be a sign of this covenant. God chose Israel to display to the nations who God is and to call the nations to himself. And Israel was to have a a sign of this covenant. So what is the sign of this covenant's blessing? Start with verse 9. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations, This is my covenant, which you shall keep. So he's talking about something a little bit different here than the previous. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So what is the sign of the covenant? It's circumcision. Now again, Think about this. Circumcision is not the covenant. Circumcision is a sign of the covenant. Now, what does a sign do? Okay, a sign is not the reality. A sign points to the reality, right? Dubai, 90 kilometers. No one's going to think, that's Dubai. No, that's a a sign pointing to Dubai, right? Circumcision is not the covenant. Circumcision points to the covenant. It explains the covenant. It teaches us things about the covenant. That's the role of circumcision. It's a sign of the covenants. So how does circumcision point to and explain the covenant? The answer is in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. Here's what Moses writes. And the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts. Now, this is both men and women. Okay, women, you're wondering where you fit in this situation. Here you are, okay. You're in the reality of the covenant. The Lord will circumcise your hearts and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your hearts and with all your soul that you may live. That's the covenant. That's the reality of the covenant. Circumcision is not the covenant. It points to the covenants. Okay? So the covenant is all about, I'm sorry, the covenant is all about circumcision of the heart, and circumcision physically points to that. Now, let me explain circumcision of the heart. The greatest joy and pleasure any human being can have is beholding God. 
worshiping God, loving God in the person of Jesus. That is your infinitely greatest joy, pleasure, delight. It's God. And God's given us hearts that have the capacity to do that. The problem, though, is that just like Adam and Eve, we've all sinned against God. We are sinners by nature and choice, and our sin is like a tumor which has grown up around our hearts and has squeezed the life out of our hearts, and so spiritually our hearts are now dead. No interest in God. No hunger for God. No delight in God. No joy in God. We're, we're thinking we're going to be satisfied by you know, sexual pleasure, eating food, vacations, watching this. Those things are necessarily wrong, but they're not going to satisfy our hearts. That's all we're interested in, though. We, because of sin, killing our hearts, surrounding them, squeezing the life out of them, our hearts are now spiritually dead. That's how we are left because of our own sin. We only have ourselves to blame for that. Spiritually dead hearts with no interest in God, no desire for Him, no love for Him whatsoever. And if God had left us in that condition, we would still be in that condition. Dead hearts don't become undead. Dead hearts are dead. But in great mercy, because of what Jesus would do on the cross, suffering on the cross for the punishment we deserve for our sins, rising from the dead to show this was no ordinary death, and this was saving death. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, God can bring his power upon people, and he can cut away that tumor of sins. Cut it away, and it falls off. And then God can take this dead little heart and, and breathe his life into it. And blub, 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 blub. And, and for the first time, you see God revealed in Jesus, and you, you want God. If I could know you, if I could fellowship with you, that's all I would ever need. And for the first time, we see God's glory revealed in Jesus, and we say, I want to turn from my sin. If that's going to keep me from God, I don't want that sin. And we, so we trust Jesus. And the moment we put our trust in Jesus, all our sins are forgiven. Our hearts are changed. He pours his love and presence into our lives. We are full of joy and worship and love. And from that point on, from the point of having God through Jesus circumcise our hearts, we will, it's exactly what Moses said in verse 6 of Deuteronomy 30. We love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul. He is our highest joy. He is our greatest desire. He is our most fulfilling pleasure loving God with all our heart and all our soul. And for the first time, we live, like Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. That's circumcision of the heart. That's the covenant. And circumcision of the body points to that. It's a sign of that covenant. Now, throughout the Old Testament, the whole nation of Israel was circumcised physically, all the men, okay? But if someone from another nation... If God brought his power on someone from another nation, circumcised their heart through what Jesus would do, they turned and they put their trust, they were forgiven, transformed. And if they wanted to become part of the Old Testament people, then if it was a man, they'd get circumcised, join God's people. And so it was the nation of Israel plus other nationalities were coming in and being circumcised as well. 
Now, when Jesus came, he did away with circumcision as the sign of the covenant, right? It has served its purpose. So now circumcision has no role in Christianity whatsoever. Are we clear on that? Irrelevant whether you're circumcised or not, men. You can breathe a sigh of relief, okay? All right. Irrelevant, not important. But during the Old Testament, it was the sign of God's covenant. Now, another important point to understand, people can be circumcised physically without experiencing heart circumcision. Pharisees, okay, many, many in the nation of Israel. Here's what Paul says in Romans 2, 28 through 29. He says, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical only. But a Jew is one inwardly, a true Israelite, that is a true born-again Jewish person, as God intended, is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Okay, so circumcision is a sign of the covenant. So crucial to understand that. But circumcision doesn't just show what the covenant is, circumcising the heart. It also shows us who can receive this work of God. That is, who can receive heart circumcision? Or to make the question more specific, are there any racial restrictions on who can receive this work of God's circumcising hearts? And the answer to that is verses 12 through 14. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male. So, so by the way, women, you're wondering, how come you know, we're not a part of this? I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, circumcision works because for men it works physiologically. Okay, um, I'm not sure why, but we, we clearly see in the Old Testament both men and women experience heart circumcision. Okay, So no woman should be wondering, am I part of this? You are. Women, are, you, are we clear? Yes. Few of you are. Okay. Please be clear. Okay, so back to 12. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house. Now, that, that has to do with servants from other nationalities born in Abraham's house. Okay, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who was not of your offspring. That would also be other nations. So do you see how people from other nations, men from other nations are being circumcised here? Verse 13, both he who was born in your house, that would be a foreign-born servant who's born in your house, and he who was bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So yes, it's just a sign, but it is a commanded sign. It is a serious sign sign. And we'll see in a moment, Abraham takes it very seriously. But so do you notice who can receive this covenant blessing? Circumcision is a sign to show what the covenant is, heart circumcision. It also shows who can receive the covenant, and that is people from all different races. Do you see that? It's emphasized here by what God says. It's not just Abraham's biological offspring 
course, circumcised. God wants Abraham to circumcise all the men in his household, which would include foreigners from other races, non-Israelites. Do you see that? This is really important for Genesis 17. So what this shows, God's covenant blessing is not just for Abraham's biological offspring. God's covenant blessing is for all the nations. So encouraging. That's, that's good news for the vast majority of us, right? There may be some Jewish people here. We're glad you're here. But for the rest of us Gentiles, we're thankful for this. This is good news. Okay, now at this point, there's another question, though, that readers are going to have. Remember, back in Genesis 3, God gave a beautiful promise. And he said that through Eve's offspring, a Savior would be born who would crush Satan's power. So ever since Genesis 3, readers are thinking, who is that going to be? Who is the Savior going to be? Who's going to crush Satan's power? He's going to be in Eve's line, but that's, that's pretty broad. That's like all of humanity, okay? But then in Genesis 12, God narrows it down, and he says, Abraham, through you, through your offspring, your offspring, all the families of the earth will receive spiritual blessings. So the Savior will now, we know, come through Abraham's offspring. But so all of us readers are wondering at this point, is it Ishmael, right? Ishmael is Abraham's offspring through Hagar. We studied that last week. Abraham's 100 years old, okay? We're waiting for the Savior. Will the Savior come through Ishmael's offspring? And the answer is in verses 15 through 21. God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Let me just pause there. Uh, there's lots of different theories as to how those names mean something different, but, but really it's, we aren't sure what the difference is. Both Sarai and Sarah imply someone who is royalty, like a queen. And so I'm not sure the difference. Uh, Abraham understood the difference. He, he knew Hebrew, okay? Uh, we're not so sure of the difference, but notice Sarah being like royalty, like a queen, that would mean kings would be born from her. And that's what God says in the next verse. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Just like Abraham, right? In the previous verses, she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. So Abraham is the spiritual father of a multitude of nations. Now Sarah, spiritual mother to a multitude of nations. The offspring of Abraham and Sarah, spiritual father and mother, blessing is going to come to people from all the nations through their offspring. Do you see the beauty of that? 17, then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? God, you're going to do that? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Maybe it'd be easier with just, we got Ishmael, God, you know. God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. 
As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. Love the mercy of God here. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So verses 15 and 16, it's going to be through Sarah's offspring. So Abraham, father, spiritual father of all the nations. Sarah, spiritual mother of all the nations. It's through Abraham and Sarah's offspring that the Savior will be born, who will bring spiritual blessing to all the nations. And I love Abraham's laugh in verse 17. I think it's a laugh of like joy and surprise. (laughs) 13 years later, you're still going to do this. Yes. I'm 100 years old. How's that going to happen? Verse 18, Abraham reminds God about Ishmael. Why couldn't your covenant blessing come through Ishmael? But in verse 19, God says, no, it's going to be through Isaac who will be born to Sarah. God blesses Ishmael. We saw that in verse 20. But the Savior is going to come to the earth through, through Isaac. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus was not the great, 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 great grandson of Ishmael. Jesus was physically, biologically, the great, 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 great grandchild of Isaac. It's exactly what God is saying here. Just as God promised thousands of years in the future, Jesus Christ was born of a virgin in the line of Isaac, fully God and fully man. God in the flesh coming to earth, fully God, fully man. And as we we know the story, Jesus died on the cross. He was punished on the cross for sin. The punishment that people deserve was poured out upon Jesus. He paid for our sin. And he rose again, showing that his death was no ordinary death. And so by dying on the cross and rising from the dead, Jesus purchased salvation for a vast number that no one can count from every nation, tongue, and tribe. And so because of what Jesus did on the cross, in great mercy, God would bring his power upon this person in in Africa over here and circumcise their heart. And they, they respond and come and put their faith in Jesus and they're born again and reconciled to God. And God can bring his power upon somebody here in Switzerland and circumcise their heart. And they respond and come to Jesus and and our saved God can put his power on somebody here. An Emirati here in this area circumcised their heart. They come to faith in Jesus. They're reconciled to God, born again. And, and so people from every nation through what Jesus would do on the cross through Abraham and Sarah, their offspring, Jesus, just as God describes here. This covenant blessing comes to us through a Savior who was born in the line of Isaac. Now, all this emphasis on Isaac in in these verses, I think Moses at this point wants to make sure we don't misunderstand. We could think, okay, Isaac, 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 it must be only Isaac and his descendants then who get this spiritual blessing. And Moses wants to close this off by saying, no, it's not only Isaac and his descendants who receive the covenant blessings. Look at the emphasis in verses 22 through 27. Notice Moses' emphasis on who is circumcised. Verse 22. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all those born in his house or bought with his money 
every male, every male, underline those words, among the men of Abraham's house. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day as God had said to him. Now think about this. Isaac wasn't even born yet. So every one of these was not from Abraham and Sarah, right? Ishmael was there and all kinds of other nationalities were there. And all those men got circumcised. Do you see this? Circumcision is a sign of the covenant. A sign that it's heart circumcision and a sign that it's to every nation. You see that? Verse 24, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Moses repeats it, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house, foreign born, and those bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. So you see the, the emphasis on every nation, every race, every nationality going on here. All these men. Now, again, this does not mean that all these men had their hearts circumcised and were forgiven for their sins. It does, it does not mean that necessarily. Okay, There's a difference between physical circumcision and spiritual circumcision. In fact, in the book of Romans, chapter 9, verse 7, Paul says that Ishmael was not, was not saved. Remember, circumcision is a sign of the covenant. It is not the covenant. It's a sign of the covenant. So you could be physically circumcised without being spiritually circumcised. But the point of these verses is that the covenant is for all ethnic groups. Salvation is for people from every race, Israelites and Ishmaelites, Nigerians and Irish. Okay, I can't list them all, but we got Chinese, Filipino, European, Hispanic. Keep the list going in your mind. God is passionate about saving people from every nation, tongue, and tribe, all for the glory of King Jesus, our Savior. Okay. There's chapter 17. Now, what does this mean for us? I'd like you to think about and ponder two questions and just search your, your soul with them. The first is this. Has God circumcised your heart? Has God circumcised your heart? That's what happens when somebody gets saved. God circumcises our hearts. Genesis 17, 7. <laughs> the way you know you're saved is not because you grew up in a Christian family. That's valuable. That won't save you, though. The way you know you're saved is not because you were baptized. People can get baptized and not experience heart circumcision. The way you know you're saved is not because you go to church or partake of communion or because you went forward at an evangelistic meeting or prayed a prayer. Those things can all be helpful, not against any of those things. But none of those things necessarily show heart circumcision. The question to ask is, has God circumcised your heart? Not that you're perfect, but is your strongest longing for Jesus Christ and his glory is your greatest joy 
beholding God in the person of Christ? Do you love God in Christ with all your heart and with all your soul? And is is living for you knowing and loving Jesus? Not perfectly. Can I say that? Do you understand? It's not perfect. Oh, I've had times this past week where I've been running off in other directions. We all have. But the North Star, the, the center focus, home is Jesus. He's your refuge when trouble comes. He's your strong tower when you're feeling weak. He's your joy when your heart's getting empty. You're always coming back. Forgive me. You're my joy. You're my love. Is that your heart? There's probably no more important question any human being can ask and answer than that question. And if you aren't sure, here's what you should do. Look at Jesus as displayed in the scriptures. Look at his love displayed in suffering on the cross. Look at his love. Look at his power in the miracles he worked. Love and power. Look at his goodness. Look at his reality. Look at the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And as you see his glory and power, you will trust him. Look at him. Trust him. How can you not trust the God-man Jesus who suffered and loved in that way? How can you not trust him? Trust him. And the moment you trust him, you'll be forgiven for all your sins. You'll see your heart's changed. God will pour his love into your heart. And you'll realize, God has circumcised my heart. It's happened. You don't wait for God to do it. You press in, say, show me your glory. You open up the scriptures. You you look, you trust who you see in Jesus. That's what I would encourage you to do. And listen, if you've been going to church for years, if you've thought you were saved, and God hasn't circumcised your heart yet, when God circumcises your heart, oh, there's good news awaiting you. If you've thought you were saved and you're just going through the motions, that's the problem. You're just going through the motions because... Your heart's not changed yet, and God loves to change hearts. Press in. He will. That's the first question. Has God circumcised your heart? Second question. Do you love people from every race? Do you love people from every race? We live in a country full of racial diversity. And the sin in all of our hearts of racial prejudice and pride and hatred. I don't think any heart here is free from that. But look at God's heart. God created every race with love and care. This color, these features, this language. I love these people, God says. This race, oh, I love these people. I love these people. And people are going to be saved from every nation, tongue, and tribe. And look at God's heart. And let's repent of racial pride. Let's repent of racial prejudice. Let's repent of racial hatred or anger. Let's turn from that and say, God, I see your heart. Give me your heart. And then let's love 
people from every race that we live around. Let's love people from other races that we work with and that we shop with and that we see at our workplace. Let's love them. Let's befriend them. Let's build relationships. Let's serve them. Let's care for them. Let's get to know them. Let's share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. Because it's through hearing the good news of Jesus Christ, that's the means that God brings His Spirit's power upon people and circumcises their hearts. And we can be part of God's global mission here in Abu Dhabi, raising up men from every nation, tongue, and tribe to bring praise and glory to Jesus Christ forever. But for that to happen, we've got to ask God to free us from racial pride, hatred, or prejudice. Let's repent of that, turn from that, and turn our hearts to God and his heart for the nations this morning. Let's stand together. God, I pray for your power to come upon us even more right now. I pray for any who have not had their hearts circumcised by your power through the cross of Jesus. I pray that right now they would look to you See your love, see your goodness, see your glory, that they would trust Jesus, that they would be forgiven for their sins through that, that you'd bring your power upon them, that they'd be restored to you. Lord, do that, I pray, right now. I pray that no one would leave here this morning without experiencing the wonder of having our hearts circumcised and knowing you and loving you and worshiping you through Jesus. Come and do that. And Lord, I pray for... Grace Church, help us, Lord. Forgive us for racial pride. Forgive us for racial prejudice. Forgive us for racial hatred or animosity of any kind. Please, Father, for Jesus' sake, cleanse us right now. Wash us clean from this, we pray. You know, we know you love each race. God created race, each of them. And Lord, help us to love and help us to serve and help us to bring the goodness of Jesus to everyone we meet. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.